Good morning, everyone. Uh, just two announcements from me before I start. A little bit of admin things. You would have seen that you got a book as we walked in. It's just a, a journal to, to keep notes with the, with the scripture as you are, uh, are following along. You can write on it. Um, so, so please make use of it. We are asking, uh, if you can, give a 10 rand donation just to cover printing costs. But if you can't, it's okay. It's a gift on us. So enjoy that. So please do follow along. The second thing is uh, the Advanced Theology course. So we are part of a broader church network called Advanced, and they've gifted us a great resource of a theology course that we run um, as a group of people meeting, reading, uh, reading a few things in the week, watching a few videos, and meeting once a week to discuss what we'll go through. So we're starting that up, I think, in the next two weeks. And if you'd be interested or would like to hear a bit more, um, we'd like to sign up. You can just go to the Life Groups table. It's just next door. And it'll be great to be able to do it with you. Um, I'm doing it too, so that'll be cool. Uh, those are just the introduction and uh, the announcements. Let's jump into James. Would, would you turn with me in your Bibles to James chapter 1, verse 1 to 4? Let's read together. James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ, to the twelve tribes scattered among the nations. Greetings. Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. Let perseverance finish its work, so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. So this morning we're beginning our series in the book of James. And throughout the course of this year, some 22 weeks, we'll be working through the Apostle James's letter to the early churches scattered across the Mediterranean. And, and in this series, we're asking the question, what does real faith look like in real life? What does real faith look like practically in the real world? What does real faith look like in our valley today, in our homes, in our schools, and in our workplaces? What does real faith look like in our families? in our relationships, and in our own lives. Real faith for real life. And this morning we begin our journey by looking at James 1, verse 1 to 4. So if you would look in your Bibles on your smartphones again, let's look at James 1, verse 1 together. James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ, to the twelve tribes scattered among the nations, greetings. Now James 1, verse 1 serves as an introduction to our letter where we're introduced to its author as well as to its audience. So firstly, let's look at its author together. James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ. So from church history, we know the author to be James, the brother of our Lord Jesus. He was Jesus' younger half-brother, one of the many children Mary and Joseph had had together after marrying. But James' introduction of himself here comes across as quite striking. I wonder if you noticed it as we read. He calls himself a servant, not only of God, but of the Lord Jesus Christ. A servant, or quite literally, a slave of God and a slave of his own brother, Jesus. And I think there are at least two questions that we should be asking as we read this. Firstly, why would James refer to himself as a servant of his very own brother? And secondly, why would James refer to Jesus as Lord, using the very name that Jews would use to refer to God in the Old Testament? So why is James Jesus' servant, and why does James refer to Jesus as Lord? Because think about it with me. If you were to consider your own siblings, for example, and, and if we were to be honest about it, 
I think there'd be a greater chance of us calling them Satan rather than Master or Lord. But that's exactly what James does here. He says, James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ. What's even more striking is when we consider James's opening words here with what we know of his life from the rest of Scripture. From the Gospels, we know that James was one of the members in Jesus' family who didn't believe that Jesus was the Messiah while he was alive. But in 1 Corinthians 15, Paul, in his great chapter on the resurrection, points out that in one of the resurrection appearances, James, uh, Jesus appeared specifically to James. And then by the time you get to the writing of the history of the church in Acts, we see that James is the leader of the early church in Jerusalem. What had happened? What had shifted in James's understanding? What had changed his heart that moved him from unbelief to now opening his letter with James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ, to then dying for his faith in his brother? What happened? When we take all of this into account, I think James's life is but one striking illustration of the revolution that took place in the first century surrounding Jesus of Nazareth. So we have James, the brother of Jesus, the leader of the church in Jerusalem, and he writes this letter. But who does he write it to? Look with me again at verse 1. James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ, to the twelve tribes scattered among the nations. The twelve tribes scattered among the nations, or the twelve tribes in the dispersion, or, or diaspora, as other translations would put it. Now, twelve tribes is a kind of Old Testament phrase that referred to the Old Testament nation of Israel. Namely, that they were the people of God who were chosen by God. However, as you read on in the Old Testament, we see that these 12 tribes are broken up and lost in the exiles to Assyria and Babylon. The question then becomes, what is James doing here by referring to the people as the 12 tribes? What it seems to be is that James is taking this Old Testament idea of the 12 tribes referring to the people of God, and he's applying it now to all Christians scattered across the nations. All Christians, according to James, not just those in Jerusalem or in Cape Town or in the South Peninsula. No, all Christians are the new people of God, chosen by God, brought about by the death and resurrection of Jesus. So James writes his letter to these Christians who were scattered among the nations due to many persecutions that they had suffered for their faith. He writes to a people who are persecuted, to a people who are oppressed, to a people who've been abused by Roman imperial power. He writes to people who are suffering, a people who were stricken with poverty, a people who were acquainted with grief. James writes to a people who face trials of many kinds. And so it would come as a great shock then, as it still does now, that James would open his letter with verses 2 to 4. Would you look with me again in your Bibles at James chapter 1, verse 2 to 4? Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. Let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. Let's look at each verse in turn together. So James writes in verse 2, Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds. Do you notice that he says, whenever you face trials. He doesn't say that if you face trials, but rather that when you face trials of many kinds, 
consider it pure joy. Aware of his people's suffering, ongoing persecution, poverty, and isolation, experiences that they wouldn't have chosen for themselves, aware of this, James addresses the very quickly and very practically the facts of life that are inescapable, unavoidable, and experienced by everyone. Namely, that life in general, and the Christian life in particular, is full of trials. And I think we know this to be true as well. We need to only look back at our last two years together. COVID-19, lockdown, isolation, riots, polarization, even war, loss, loss of security, loss of jobs, loss of life. And these are to name but a few. Our lives are crowded in upon by all kinds of trials and hardships. They're not unusual to us. In fact, they're inevitable. And they frequently appear out of nowhere. Now, it's quite interesting to me that the same verb that's used in the phrase whenever you face trials of many kinds is used in Luke chapter 10, in the story of the man who went down from Jerusalem to Jericho. I I wonder if you remember it. It's Jesus' story of the Good Samaritan. But here our focus is the man who's on his way down from Jerusalem, and all of a sudden we're told in our passage that he fell among thieves. He was attacked, but particularly it mentions that he fell among thieves. He wasn't looking for for thieves. He was simply going down to Jericho, and all of a sudden, out of the blue, he's attacked. His clothes are ripped from him, and he receives a brutal beating. That's the idea here. We don't go out looking for trials. We simply fall among them. They meet us on the journey called life, and we're forced to face them. Jesus himself said, in this world you will have trouble. In other words, you will face trials of many kinds. We all face trials. And I wonder what they could be for you. For the 12 tribes, it was trials of oppression, persecution, and isolation, the hardships of poverty, sickness, and death. But what about you? What are the specific trials that you are currently experiencing in your life? Because we all face trials. Could it be the hardship of grief? Grieving the loss of loved ones through death, relocation, or simply having to say goodbye. Grieving the breaking of relationships, be that from divorce or the ending of a friendship. Grieving the loss of health, growing old or growing sick. Could it be the burdens of having to be financially secure? Paying your employees, paying your rent, paying for your children's future. Could it be doing your job, keeping your job, or even finding a job? We all face trials. Could it be the difficulties of having to balance work with family, with church, with exercise, with sleep, with the responsibility of having to provide? Could it be the challenge of compromise? facing peer pressure at school or the workplace, falling into temptation while you're alone? Could it be the disappointments, frustrations, or aspirations that bear constant weight on you each and every day? We all face trials of many kinds. But what's our natural response to facing trials? I think there's at least three that are worth mentioning here. Firstly, we consider it pure joy to avoid trials. We try with all our energy, all our resources, and all our time to escape hardships at any cost. 
We say, if I can only work hard enough now, or if I can just make enough money now, then I'll be happy, then I'll be secure, then I'll be able to avoid or maybe limit the trials of life that I experience. We avoid trials. Secondly, we deny that we are facing trials. We can try to hide it from others or even ourselves, and we hide the fact that we're actually struggling. Overly burdened, that we're overwhelmed. And we try to ignore it as if it's not really there. But it is. We deny trials. And lastly, we ask why. When we're caught off, when we fall among trials, we're surprised, we're shocked. And it leads us to question God himself. It leads us to question his faithfulness and his power and his faith in your life. We ask questions like, how could God let this happen to me if he truly loves me? Or is God with me? Does God even care? When faced with trials of many kinds, natural response is to avoid, deny, or ask why. We try to protect ourselves, to isolate ourselves, to numb ourselves from the reality of the trials in our lives. But if we're honest with ourselves, we know we can't. We all face trials. It's part of in a broken and sinful A pastor once explained it as living life with a wheelbarrow. Here's uh, a picture of a wheelbarrow. If you're like me and you don't know what a wheelbarrow is. Um, <laughs> living life with a wheelbarrow. Picture me, picture with me that everyone you know and see has a wheelbarrow with them wherever they go. You have a wheelbarrow. I have a wheelbarrow. We all have wheelbarrows. So whenever you think of me, you can think of me with my wheelbarrow. And I have stuff in my wheelbarrow, heavy stuff that I carry with me. In my wheelbarrow, I have my trials, my fears and failures, heartaches. I have my baggage. Now we can try and make it a pretty wheelbarrow. We can give it a paint job or even try and feel, but it's still a wheelbarrow. lighter for ones. Don't simply tolerate them. Don't grit your teeth through them. Don't be kind of joyful and kind of bitter. No. Consider it pure joy. Pure, unmixed, unalloyed, unadulterated joy when you face trials of many kinds. The question is why? Why does James say this? Why does he call us to consider it pure joy when we face trials? Well, he gives us the answer in verses 3 to 4. Would you look with me at verse 3? Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. Why are we to consider it pure joy when facing trials? Firstly, because facing trials is a matter of perspective. Did you notice how James framed our discussion for us? He says, consider it pure joy when you face trials because you know. Consider it, verse 2, because you know, verse 3. And I think it's worth stopping here and highlighting that James is challenging us in how we view trials. He's saying that when you face trials, you need to remember, you need to consider, you need to stop and think. 
Because when you do face trials, you need to recognize that they have a purpose. In other words, you need to bring how you feel, how you ex- your experience in that moment, and you need to bring how you feel under the truth of God's Word and Scripture. You need to recognize that trials have a purpose. Why would you consider your joy in facing trials? Because facing trials is a matter of perspective. And secondly, because facing trials has a purpose. Look with me at verse 3. Testing of your faith produces perseverance. In other words, as we work through trials that we face, we grow in perseverance. We develop endurance. We progress in steadfastness. We have staying power. You perseverance. Do you say that faith by itself doesn't produce? It's only faith when tested. Think about muscles grow in our bodies. Now, I could try to roll up my, my sleeves and try and fix my muscles for you, but look, no one wants to see that, honestly. How do muscles grow faced with resistance? Muscles grow under the tension of having to lift or push or carry a heavy weight. Muscles grow by being torn, by being damaged, and by being stretched. And it's the process of putting strain on your muscles that breaks them down, only for the body to repair them and grow them to be stronger than before. Weights that were once too heavy now become manageable and then become easy. And the more our muscles are faced with resistance and the more that our muscles are torn, the more that our muscles will be able to lift in the future. And what happens if our muscles don't face resistance? What happens if our muscles aren't stretched? Well, they become weaker. They atrophy. They just go away. And the same is true of our faith. Faith becomes significant under stress. Our our faith is grown when we are faced with the resistance of trials. Our faith is strengthened when we are stretched by our hardships. And sometimes the very things that we seek to avoid, deny, or question are the very things that God uses to make us and remake us again and again to be more like Jesus. Perseverance is faith stretched out. That's why James is saying, consider it pure joy whenever you face trials of many kinds. Because you know that when you face trials, you have an opportunity to take this tiny little muscle and turn it into something significant. Because when that testing is significant, and you're able to work through it by God's grace and strength, perseverance is produced. And it's this perseverance that gives way to maturity. Would you look with me again at verse 4? Therefore, let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. Why does James call us to consider it pure joy when we face trials? Because facing trials produces perseverance. And perseverance exercised over the course of a lifetime leads to maturity. Trials, perseverance, maturity. Therefore, joy. Said another way, 
Persevering through trials is the part of God's process for growing us to be more like Jesus. Perseverance isn't the end goal. Rather, it's the means to the end, which is maturity in Christ. So James says, let perseverance finish its work. If we want to be mature and complete in Christ, if we want to not lack anything, then we need to persevere and persevere and persevere through the many trials that we face in this life. Let perseverance finish its work. In other words, we're forced to learn in practice what we might know in principle. Three weeks from now is the Two Oceans Ultramarathon. Now, we might know that the Two Oceans is 56 kilometers. We might know that it takes between four to five months for us to train for a marathon and what training programs we will need to prepare for the race. We might know how much water we should drink or what foods we should eat while we run. We might even know where to push ourselves or where to take it easy. We might know that there will be hills or valleys. We might know this all in principle. But when the rubber hits the road, when you're 30 kilometers into your race with gale force winds blowing, blowing against you, your feet filled with blisters, your legs aching with cramps, your lungs burning for air, and you stand at the foot of Okapsavach with no sight of its end, with no strength to move forward, and no desire to carry on. It's in that moment, in that trial, where you're forced to learn in practice what you once knew in principle. But if you do persevere through this trial, and then you persevere through the next trial, and the one after that, and the one after that, and the one after that for the rest of your days, what is the result according to James? You'll be mature and complete, not lacking anything. You'll be complete, made whole, restored, redeemed. You'll be fooled, satisfied, content, not lacking in anything. You'll be mature. You'll be perfect. You'll be like Jesus. That's the goal. That's why we persevere through trials, because through them we are matured, we are formed, and then through them we become like Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, who the, for the joy set before him endured the cross, scorning its shame and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinners so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. Jesus, who himself faced the greatest of all trials, that of death on the cross. On the cross where Jesus endured the full weight of God's wrath against sin and death so that we might have freedom and life. On the cross where he was pierced for our transgressions, where he was crushed for our iniquities, where the punishment that brought us peace, hope, and the ability to persevere through trials was laid on him. And by his wounds, we are healed. Consider Jesus who endured the cross so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. He's the author of our faith. He's the perfecter of our faith. He's the goal of our faith. Okay, all that's left for us to do now is to think about the how. How do we persevere through trials? Here are but a few suggestions of where we can start. Number one, 
expect to face trials. After all that we've looked at, it would be amiss for me not to say that trials will come. Brother and sister, expect to face trials of many kinds. Anticipate hardships. Be ready to bear burdens. Be prepared to suffer. You will face trials. But as you do, number two, remember that your trials have a purpose. When you face a trial, stop, think, consider, and then remember that trials lead to perseverance, which leads to maturity. When you face trials, remember they have a purpose. Number three, equip yourself to face trials. And here are three ways in which you can equip yourself when it comes to facing trials. Firstly, let God's compassion lead you to pray. Go to God in prayer. When faced with trials, don't let your heart grow hard. Don't distance yourself. Don't let trials lead you to question God's faithfulness or power or love without taking those questions directly to Him. Prayer allows us to be honest to God, where we can cry out in desperation, where we can admit our struggles. And most significantly, where we can still submit ourselves to his good and sovereign plan for us. When you face trials, pray. Secondly, let God's word renew your mind through the reading and memorizing of scripture. God in his kindness speaks to us through his word. And through his word, he speaks to the many trials that we encounter. So identifying the specific trial that you face... You then search, find, read, and reread, memorize parts of the Bible that speak to that specific trial. For example, if the hardship that you are facing is worry or anxiety due to the stress of daily life, then why not consider committing 1 Peter 5 verse 7 to memory, which says, cast all your anxiety on him because he cares for you. Or if you struggle with temptation, then remember 1 Corinthians 10 13, no temptation has overtaken you except what is common to all of mankind. God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. But when you are tempted, he will also provide a way out so that you can endure it. If you question God's love for you or your identity as a child of God, memorize 1 John 3 verse 1. See what great love the Father has lavished on us, that we should be called children of God. And that is what we are. When you're faced with trials, let God's word renew your mind, calm your thoughts, and bear truth to your experience. Lastly, let God's people encourage you through your trials. Please don't do it alone. Don't isolate yourself. And don't push away one of the greatest gifts that God has given to you, that of community. We're not meant to face trials alone. We need one another. So move towards people that you trust. Speak to people who you love and tell them about the trials that you're facing. And walk through trials together. In closing, number four, find your comfort, help, and rest in Jesus. To you who are presently facing trials, who find yourself in the heat of the storm, and barely able to keep it all together to you. And to others of you who are facing trials that have never seemed to end. One thing on the next on the next. To you who have known only hardship, tribulation, and suffering. To you, my brothers and sisters, 
I offer you these two promises from our Lord Jesus Christ. Would you hear them? And would you trust them for your life today? To all you who face trials of many kinds, Jesus says, come to me. All you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon me and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. And secondly, being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. Brother and sister, find your rest in Jesus. And know that he has not given up on you, he has not left you, and he is not finished with you. So take heart, persevere, and keep moving forward toward maturity in Christ. Common Ground South Penn, would we be a people who by God's grace and God's strength, who consider it pure joy whenever we face trials of many kinds? Because we know that the testing of our faith will produce perseverance. And that we will persevere and persevere and persevere until perseverance finishes its work so that we may one day be mature and complete, not lacking in anything. For God's glory and for our peace. Can I pray? And then the band can come up too. Let's pray together. God of all comfort, God of all peace, Jesus Christ, in you alone do we find rest. Thank you for the gift of your spirit as our encouragement. Thank you for the gift of community. Thank you for the gift that we are not alone. Lord, as we, as we reflect on the many trials that we face, the hardships and sufferings that we all go through in this life, would you give us perspective, Lord? Would you build in us a perseverance that when we face trials, we would grow to be more like you? And would we consider it a joy? Would you help us, Lord? Because we need you. In Jesus' name, amen.